1: Roxanne Hodge with Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today, I have a, a colleague uh, uh, that I met, oh my goodness, Denise! it's probably about uh, four or five years ago now. Something like that. Yeah, we're both are members of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. Um, and Denise Denis Boudreau, Boudreau um, and is, uh, his title is a Chief Inclusion Officer and he's the owner of Inclusive Communication. So, Denis, thanks so much for coming on, and I'd like to talk a little bit about inclusivity. And I know this has been something that you have been talking about well before it became, I'm going to say, a thing that most of us focused on. So tell us a little bit about your path and, and what got you into this kind of work, Denis.
0: Absolutely, so, so yeah, I've, I've been interested in that topic for about 23 years now. So I guess a little bit before it became a, a, a thing, uh, a trend. Um, I stumbled into this by accident uh, as a web developer back then. Um, I was responsible for leading a team, developing websites for different organizations back in Montreal where I live. Um, and, and one day, one of our project managers came to me and said, we won this, this project to redesign a particular website for one of the hospitals in Montreal. Uh, one of their requirements is that the site be accessible to people who are blind, figure this out. Like what, really? So I'd never heard of you know blind people wanting to use the, or you know, be even thinking of using the internet. To me, the web was a very visual medium. So I started researching about that and discovered that there was all these possibilities in terms of how you would develop a website so that it would be usable like people who were blind people who had different types of disabilities and i really got passionate about that particular challenge because to me it was all about challenges initially and um and, and over the years i just developed a, a a very profound attachment passion for that particular mission which is making the digital space a more equitable just uh, accessible, inclusive space for people who have disabilities. And that grew into also considering the needs of people who are aging, uh, people who are marginalized by technology one way or another. And that led me into building a business around this idea of helping organizations provide more inclusive communications, like use, use better channels, more inclusive channels, mm-hmm. so that when they are communicating with their with their people, with their, their prospects, their customers, for instance, where they're talking internally, to their teams, their 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 workforce that they do that in a way that is inclusive and that no one feels left out. So, it's been it's been a 22 23 year long journey of just helping people understand that there's an actual market around uh, disability that disability inclusion is the smart thing to do if you if you have a business, if you're in a business, that it's a great way to make sure that you hit your goals, that you cover your bottom line, all these different things is like building awareness around are these, these topics so that organizations can be more successful reaching a broader largely untapped market with folks that are typically just not considered in the first place.
1: You know it's so funny right because you know you think you don't think about inclusivity until you're in it, right So um, for instance, when my son played hockey, um, my, mom, my, my mom had a stroke and um, so we would try to get her into the ranks for instance, mm-hmm. you know, um, not having thought about it because you're, when, unless you're in it, Denise. I don't know if, you know, and it's interesting to, I wanna hear your perspective, is you don't start to think along those lines. So on my, you know, what started to happen to me is every rink that I went to before we would get her out of the car and figure out um, is there an elevator, first of all, and, I'll, and it's shocking how many, you know, um, <laughs> places uh, didn't have elevators and those steps you don't even think about it in a hockey rink Mm -hmm. how many steps there are um you know to be able to get her up steps so somebody like me would hadn't thought about that before so i just think about the evolution that you may have seen and i want to talk a little bit about that in 23 years ago like you said like it was like if someone's not able to see what kind of things you know you'd have to do to build in what did what, what were some of the needs that you started to see 23 years ago? And let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about coming up to the present about where we are and even maybe potentially kind of some of the gaps that you're still seeing. Yeah, of
0: course. Uh, I mean, I, w- I want to start by talking a little bit about that experience that you had with with Aki uh, rings for instance. Um, I've had very similar experiences with friends who are in wheelchairs and just trying to find a restaurant in downtown Montreal. I mean... It's not. It's not perfect today. Still, you still have a lot of, of restaurants that are just not that accessible. But it got a lot better than it did twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember one particular evening uh, after a, a a meetup that we had in Montreal, uh, here in downtown Montreal, just trying to find a restaurant and you know, hitting every place that we could find around the area where we were, and none of them having a ramp, and a lot of them didn't have a huge. Um, you know, barrier, maybe it's one or two steps, but that's all it needs to prevent someone from getting in. Or sometimes you would be able to get into the restaurant. And then you realize that, you know, the bathroom is on a different floor, and you have stairs to get there. So the place is technically accessible, you can reach it. But once you're inside, you can't really navigate around the tables since it's too narrow, or you can not get to the restrooms or this or that. So, mm-hmm. so those are like, you're completely right when you start paying attention to these details they jump at you from everywhere like they're 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 all over the place so so yeah things that I've seen my most of my most of my my activity is really related to digital so web and internet in, in general um I, I've seen I've seen a lot of improvements over the year over the years uh, most of them having to do with the fact that there's a lot of, of different laws that were uh, adopted over the years that you know, force organizations to be more inclusive, to pay attention to international standards, to make sure that they comply with different sets of, of guidelines so that their content is not exclusionary of people with disabilities or anyone who's marginalized by technology again. Um, it, it goes from you know, the ability to put content online, say in a PDF document, and not having thought of someone being able to, or wanting to to use that document and the document not being compatible with the tools that they're using for instance if you think about someone who's blind for instance um you know it, it it becomes self-evident when you start thinking about it but the idea of using a mouse to point and click on a monitor is pretty useless for someone who can't see so what's your what's your fallback and, and to someone who's who's blind using their keyboard as their fallback. So they're going to learn how their keyboard works, they're going to know where the keys are much better than you and I ever will. Uh, I mean that's how they that's, that's how they interface with with the content and they're going to use that keyboard to navigate in lieu of a, a mouse, for instance. So and and the way that they're going to get the information on the screen is they're, they're going to have a software, a piece of software that will either read the information back to them or they're going to have a different type of keyboard that basically is a, a braille display. So it will convert the information that's on the screen into braille and they can read the information with their fingers. So, and that's just one example out of many of how people with disabilities are going to work around the challenges that they face so that they can still access content. So over the years, we've seen that a lot of the, the content online, a lot of the ways in which developers, designers, content creators are putting content together has evolved from a technical take the technological standpoint, in terms of complexity, in terms of all these different things that we've seen, um, anyone who has paid attention to how design has evolved over the last 20 years knows that it's become more and more interactive, more and more visual and uh, and less and less just text-based. So through the years, as these different technologies were coming together, as video became a thing, for instance, for a long time, these videos were not automatically captioned. So someone who has deaf or hard of hearing had a much harder time to follow along at some point, it became more of a thing that people were doing. And now, it's pretty much a given in in, in most cases that there's going to be at least some kind of captioning happening or or transcript happening for a podcast episode, for instance, that sort of thing. And and in all areas, basically, we've seen these improvements, um, never to a point where things are perfect, but it's definitely easier, and it gets easier over the years, um, because technology allows for a lot of these things to the handle a bit more, um, you know, easily than, than they used to be.
1: So let's talk a little bit about, you know, the marketplace, right. For people mm-hmm. that are inclusive versus not. Okay. And for, you know, employers, you know, thinking of our interfaces, you and I are speaking here, but when people go to purchase any, any service, they're generally going to a website, right? right? What are some of the fundamental things that you, in your frame, because I know you're, you're going to look at it a completely different potentially from me who doesn't have those eyes for kind of, you know, digitizing and inclusivity. What are some of the basic things that um, we should be looking for as a consumer if we're looking for inclusivity, if we, if we go to a website? Well, one of the
0: most basic things, I'm going to go back to what I just said. So the ability to use a website without your mouse, being able to just use your keyboard. A lot of people, you know, they're, they're kind of power users of their keyboard. Instead of pointing and clicking on different things and spending all that time moving from one target to another, they might use their tab key and then they're just going to use tab, 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 and then go through all the active elements of their page that way. So one of the key foundational pieces to see if a website is accessible is can you use the entire website? Can you do all these things that are available to you all? Can you use all those features without requiring the use of your mouse? Can you can you achieve all of those things using just your keyboard, your tab key, your return key, your space bar, your escape key, the arrow keys on the bottom right corner? Like if you, if you can use those those controls and still use the site 100%, that's a really good indication that the site is accessible. Um, Someone like me, I'm colorblind. So, you know, I, I, I experience a lot of frustrations or barriers regularly with the use of color on websites. If colors are being used as a way to convey information and there's no other way to uh, get a sense of what that information is, I, I miss out on some of the content. I miss out on some cues, for instance. I may miss an error message if it's a dark red against dark gray text. Like I might not even notice it in the first place. Most people wouldn't think about that, but for the 10% of us who are colorblind, you know, that's the thing. So there's all these different things that, that you can look into um, in terms of how colors are being leveraged, uh, how, um, how you can use your content without that mouse, how uh, logical the, the, order, the, the ordering of the content is, how technical the actual copy is. Um, you know, some of the things that, that we, we pay attention to in my field is the complexity of, of the copy itself. Um, and most people who create copy online are people who have postgraduate degrees. They 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 have university degrees. Like they're they're very well educated. They have a really really high level of literacy, and half the population, as an average reading level, that's around fourth or fifth. Uh, I mean ninth or tenth grade if you convert it to uh, mm-hmm. to, to the the English system, not the not the French Canadian one. But um, so you know, the equivalent of about 13, 14, 15 year old is, is what most people have, like more than half of the population is that's where they're at. So there's a huge disconnect oftentimes between people who write content and people who consume content. So people like me, what they, we do is we work with organizations who have a tendency to over-complexify what they're writing and bring it to a, to a level that is better understood by, uh, by the majority of people. So connecting through content that way, connecting through visuals, images, for instance, uh, making sure that if you have those images that convey information, that we are going to provide a file back again, a different modality to get to the content of those images. So that someone again, who's blind for instance, when they get to an image with their screen readers, instead of just hearing image and not really knowing what it's about, that they hear a description of what the graphic is so that they can tell what that's about and still understand you know, the content that's being conveyed through visual, uh, like a visual component as opposed to just text and a bunch of other things like that. But, but it's about making things simpler to use. It's about making things more perceivable, more operable, more understandable from a person's perspective and from their tools. It's to make sure that the content is more robust and that it works really well with the tools that they use so that all these different technologies work together and can actually convey something back to them in a way that will make sense. So it's technical, a lot of it is technical. And, and we do this work with, uh, with, with you know, designers, developers and other, other uh, prof- web professionals, um, tweaking the message that an organization wants to send, like that the, the brand wants to convey in a way that will be usable by more than just your typical average user as we, as we like to think of them.
1: What's interesting, you know, um, to my point about until I had a need, I didn't think about it. So I think and now you're making me think about my website because I'm like thinking, you know, uh, is it accessible? (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, Denise, I'd have to talk to you because Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking of an image. And I know, like, um, captions, I love it now because sometimes I don't want to hear the sound. And I actually just, you know, I actually turn off the sound and read the captions because I think I don't want to hear something because I'm tired. I might, I, I might, might, you know, I might much prefer to read the words and and watch the person. So it's interesting, right? Based on kind of how we're having different options. It may not have been something that I would have even considered before, but now mm-hmm. I might say, oh, I'm going to watch this interview with Roxanne and Denny, but I'm just going to you know, read the captions and, and watch them instead of listening. So it's yeah, giving you know other people that are maybe able-bodied. Uh, potentially, I think of from my perspective with uh, mental resilience or um, us using our capacities to detriment on being online what you know the different ways that we might be accessing the information even though we have the capacity but we want a different interface based on some of the things that you're talking um mm-hmm. around senses sight, sound, taste touch smell and and being able to adapt you know to say i'm gonna try this you know um i like audible for instance because i can just listen so right. you know because i'm reading all day and if I want to, to hear something and I think, oh, I, I wouldn't mind reading, the last thing I want to do is use my eyes. So I mm-hmm. will listen to books, you know, so I mm-hmm. think just um, from inclusivity, it's probably also allowing other people to use, you to consume data or information in a different way.
0: It, it ab- absolutely is. So I'll give you a couple of examples of that. Most technologies that you and I use on our phones today come from a need to that need that needed to be addressed for a disability standpoint to begin with like every day I'm sure you use your phone and you magnify things on your phone by you know doing that little pinch to zoom uh, gesture that was never built for you and I that was built for someone who had a low vision impairment and just couldn't see so you know you can zoom in and and read Mm -hmm. better it became something that everybody adopted for obvious reasons Mm -hmm. much in the same way that you know auto completion whether we love that feature or not and however you know accurate that feature is it was not initially built to help us be more efficient in, in when we're typing it was meant for someone who had difficulty with u- using their their hands to type for instance to help them get more efficient and it became something that everybody ad- adopted mm-hmm. captions are the same way Captions were there initially to help someone who had a a hearing uh, deficiency, disability impairment or whatnot, or someone who was completely deaf. And it became something that obviously a lot of people are using today. There's a lot more people leveraging captions on Netflix that have no hearing impairments, but you know, they're watching Netflix where, while their, their spouse is sleeping next to them or their, their kids are sleeping or you know, in a noisy environment, they don't wanna be disturbing to other people, that sort of thing. In a gym, in an airport, like wherever we, we consume captions, everybody you know adopts this and it becomes mainstream, but it all started from this idea of, okay, so how do we address this particular challenge that some people have so that they can participate? And a lot of what I do, a lot of what people like me do, Relates to exactly that. It's taking those technologies and then making them more mainstream, so that they become part of our, you know, day-to-day uh, use, and we take them for granted. But for some people, they're more than just a convenience; they're a necessity if they want to participate.
1: So when you look at that, because I think I I know I've hit the um, voice activation on my on my iPhone and then trying to figure out how to turn it off was my dilemma <laughs> today. I'm mm-hmm. like it's telling me stuff, and I'm like, what did I touch? But really, from a perspective, that these got developed for um, to give people capacity based on the um, whatever they're needing. I think Absolutely. that's that's phenomenal that that's been possible. Now, I want you to talk a little bit about. Um, the concept of what are we missing in the marketplace if we're not being accessible? Like, you know, because I think you have so many employees um, that need inclusivity for lots of different um, ways. What is, what, what are employers or companies missing if they're not thinking through things from the perspective of inclusivity? So, so the
0: the first thing I want to tell you and, and all the listeners is that, people with disabilities are a much more prevalent group than we realize. Um, Most of us might know a person or two that we identify as having a disability, but most of us are, I mean, the majority of us, if not all of us are unaware of all the folks around us who actually have disabilities. Mm -hmm. In Canada, for instance, it's 22% of the population that self identifies as having at least one disability. If you're thinking United States, it's 26%. So we're somewhere between one to four to one to five, one out of five of the population, self-identifying as such. The thing is, the reason why we don't notice those people that much is that 80% of those disabilities are invisible. And what I mean by that is, you know, learning disabilities, ADHD for instance, I mean, mean, dyslexia for instance, uh, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, um, everything around neurodiversity, uh, ADHD, uh, the autism spectrum, uh, you know, traumatic brain injuries, like all these different things that exist that are not necessarily visible, colorblindness, again, here uh, is another example of that anxiety issues, mental health issues, like all those things will fit into this general category of situations that can be quite disabling for some people. But you can't really tell the way that you can tell someone being blind or someone being in a wheelchair, for instance, someone being deaf, you know, it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly. But some of these other things like ADHD, you might never really know. So but all those folks are going to experience the same web that we do in a very different way based on their challenges. For some people, it's going to be about the ability to see what's there. For some other, some other people, it's going to be whether they can hear it or not. And in some other cases, it's going to be whether they can process the information or not. But that 22 to 26% of the population in North America, let's say Canada and US, um, this group has a very significant um, purchasing power as well. In, can- in Canada alone, if you look at the information based on the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, it's 55 billion dollars a year in after tax disposable income. That's 55, 55 billion
1: billion
0: with a B as in banana, right? Wow. So $55 55 billion in Canada alone per mm-hmm. year. If you look at the United States, it's 504 billion a year. So half a trillion dollars a year is what wow. they what they control. If, you, if, as a bi, as a business, you are not paying attention to inclusivity, if you're not paying attention to to accessibility, you're basically cutting yourself out of that potential market because mm-hmm. those folks, if they can't use your services, they're going to go elsewhere to someone who actually pays attention to that. So it is by far the largest untapped and underserved market that we have, that we're not even aware that we have, and um, so the, you know, that's one of the reasons why there, there's there's so many laws and regulations around these questions because it's a very large group of people. And as we become more and more, um, you know, embedded into the digital space for services and products and everything, you create a pretty significant chasm between some population and, and some others and people are left behind. Mm-hmm. But when you look when you look at, and, and the thing is also, because you're, you're, we're talking about the market here, um, if we just look at Canada, for instance, uh, like I said, $55 billion a year, not un- insignificant. And, um, but that's just people with disabilities. And, and, and the data that I'm sharing with you, that 22% for Canada, for instance, that's uh, in the working age population in general. It's not, we're not even considering people that are getting older, our seniors, for instance, people who have spent the last 30, 20, 30 years with technology that eventually retire. They don't stop using technology all, all of a sudden. They still use technology, but they've also gathered, you know, wealth over over their 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 their, time, their lifetime and they have money to spend and they have time to spend it and they have grandkids to, you know, to to spoil and have all these different things yeah. where are they going to spend their money online are they going to be spending it with you or somebody else probably somebody else if your site is not accessible to them as we get older all these things that we identify from a disability standpoint become more and more relevant for someone who's just getting older I'm 51, arguably pretty young still, though I don't feel that way every single day, but I know that my sight, my hearing, my ability to maintain concentration for a long time, all those things are not as great as they used to be just five or 10 years ago. I have no idea what that's going to look like when I'm 65, but it's probably not going to be better than today. So I'm, I'm on a path where all my senses are slowly deteriorating that way. And and I recognize a lot of the early signs of other things that you know at some point I may need that kind of accommodation to be able to, 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 to successfully do what I'm doing. So on top of, of the, this data that I shared with you, you've got all the data that relates to you know, our seniors, their prevalence in terms of, of a demographic, around 18, 19%, again, in, in the US and Canada, somewhere around there is what we have for 65 year olds and older. Um, And then what they control is much higher than what people with disabilities control. So again, that's another market. And when you look at, um, at what people call the disability market, which is basically folks with disabilities and those who care about them, people who could be swayed one way or another to go do business with your company or somebody else's company because of the way that their friend or their loved ones were treated or felt. They could be swayed to go in a different direction and not go to you because you failed to service people that they care about. And and we live in a a world now where inclusion, diversity, equity, all these values are much more present in people's minds. And the data shows that 77% of people are likely to choose an organization that is more inclined towards DEI. And and as a result of that, if you are identified as not being that way, then again you lose opportunities. So if it, even if it wasn't for a society from a societal standpoint, like wanting to do the right thing as a business, from a business standpoint, there are so many incentives to pay attention to those things and just open up to to a new market.
1: Right, because you never want to think you know uh, that you're trying to exclude anybody, right? Uh, intentionally, I mean, unintentionally, clearly, Denis, I would say that a lot of companies do that. But you know, yes. with, with all this capacity now, like to with digitization uh, across the board. And of course we know that's just gonna get more and more in business, it it even becomes more um important um from not mm-hmm. just a, from like you said, from doing the right thing, but really uh, fiscally from a business perspective, it makes sense that you start to consider this. Now right. I'd like to I'd like to talk about your book. Uh, Denis has sure. just, just, just. I released an amazing book, which, um, Dini, I want you to tell everybody about the book because mm. this is all information that I think um, is valuable and we all need to be able to read this and start thinking about it in our business. So tell us a little bit about the book and um, you know what uh, what you think some of the nuggets are in reference to why people should go out and buy the book.
0: Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, well, the book is, is uh, titled The Inclusive Speaker, um speaker in the sense of professional who speaks in front of a group in some cases like you and i it's professional speakers talking to an audience in other cases it might be you know a, a business leader talking to their teams in a meeting room or it can be a salesperson making a pitch in front of a bunch of prospects and trying to convert them into into clients like anyone who speaks with other people and monetizes that activity is, is who that, that target audience is. Uh, so the book is a titled the Inclusive Speaker, how to truly connect with all of your audience without leaving anyone behind. So it's pretty telling what the book is about just by that, that title, hopefully. Um, in, in the book, I'm baking, basically making the case that I very briefly mentioned, uh, like made, made up with you now uh, in terms of the, the market and all these different opportunities. Um, it's all It's about helping people understand how much money they're leaving on the table every year by not uh, paying attention to inclusion as much as they should or could. It's about showing and teaching people different tips and tricks so that they can change their approach when they're communicating to, uh, to an audience so that no one feels left out, so that no one um, feels disengaged, feels like they're not welcomed into that conversation. Um, so it's like, I'm, I'm using it from an approach of different types of disabilities uh, the book introduces uh, eight different personas or, or characters, if you will, that have different types of disabilities that are in, different, in different situations, attending, you know, live events, for instance, or, or meetings in a boardroom, that sort of thing. And the kind of challenges that they, or barriers that they run into and how we as speakers could have avoided those barriers by just doing things a little different, by, by accounting for a particular consideration this or that. And... Uh, so there's over like 200. I, I, I lost count really. Like over 200 different tips and tricks like that to pay attention to, to become more inclusive as a communication professional. And then the book leads into a model that I'm that I'm proposing to people to uh, to go down that path of becoming more inclusive. Like how and what can you do to take stock of where you are today in terms of how you deliver, how you share information, the words that you use, the techniques that you use, and learn. to to adapt and add more to your toolkit so that when you speak in front of a group, everyone feels compelled to come in with with that conversation with you because they feel like you see them, that you welcome them as well. In a nutshell, that's what that is. There's a ton of different tools in there to help you, uh, again, like self-assess where you are and help you understand how to get to the next level. And hopefully through that, people can go down that particular path and become consciously more and more inclusive, knowing and understanding why they do it and the benefits that come from doing that uh, towards, towards reaching a broader audience.
1: That's amazing. So I think something that uh, we all can uh, learn from. So let's say you're talking to a CEO, and I want you okay. to think, you know, there's going to be some senior level people or CEOs listening. And what are some of the top, say, one or two tips that you can tell them or could tell them to consider about being more of an inclusive um, speaker that maybe they could walk away and reflect on and then potentially go on and, and if they wanted to learn more uh, by the book?
0: There's so many things that that CEOs can do, uh, that senior executives can do really to to create a culture of inclusion in their organization. It begins by embodying the message yourself. Um, you have to provide people with the buy-in that they need so that they can feel that this is worth their time, that they're not going to be, uh, you know, discarded if they try these different things. So speaking to the value of inclusion in your under, in your organization, um, educating yourself really about the benefits of having a diverse workforce and, and, you know, the benefits of being able to draw from different perspectives, If everybody in your company kind of looks the same, everybody kind of thinks the same way, it diminishes your ability to innovate, to be creative. If you have people that have very diverse perspectives, whether it's because of of their gender, because of their race, because of where they come from, because of cultural differences, because of disability, people come in with their own experiences. And when you put all that together, you get a much more diverse, creative workforce, and you can benefit from that. So, so one of the ways in which CEOs can really impact that piece is making sure that you are ha- you are in an organization that that favors hiring diversity, that you make sure that people who are like checking that 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 box of diversity are not just tokens for you, but they're really put in a position where they influence your company, they are getting the same opportunity as others to grow into the business and influence the business in, in their own way themselves so that others can see that they're doing that so that they can understand that they too could eventually grow into this position and transform your culture with everyone contributing to a broader more diverse perspective so it really begins with sharing the message about this is something that we value and and of course why not explain why that is I mean part of it of course is going to be yes we want to do the right thing but it's totally okay to say you know there's a huge market huge opportunity that we could tap into if only we were doing that as well and, and start with something like this I mean it's pretty simple to begin with allow people to create uh you know resource groups internally where people can can gather and talk about these ideas if you don't have a diversity equity and inclusion initiative already start putting one together like task someone to be responsible for creating a DEI initiative internally so that people feel that they belong in your business that they're you know they're they're they're, they're seen they're respected they're valued and mm-hmm. see where that leads you i mean it can only lead you down a very positive path ultimately
1: Yes. And I think uh, to your point, it's um, if you are the role model to say, if I don't know within my um, employee base, what that translates out to, right? Like how many people are visually impaired? How many people have deficits in hearing? How many people have neurodiversity needs? How many people are from different cultural, Racially, they're different. Um, orientation, they're different. So that's to me, is a beginning step to say, okay, we need to be able to have, like you said, these ERGs where we start to discuss the implications for whatever um, industry you're in, starting there to show that you are willing um, to stand behind this, right. um, I think is a, is, a, is an amazing beginning point. Now, Denis, this has been amazing. Um, where can people reach you and, and where can they buy the book? Um, please let them know. We will also have a link um, with the podcast, but let them know where they can get a hold of
0: you. Sure. So so the book can be easily found on, on my website. So inclusive.ca. So that's I-N-K-L-U-S-I-V.ca slash books. Simple enough. Um, there's a dedicated page to the Inclusive Speaker book. Uh, it will lead you to Amazon. Um, you can you can easily get a Kindle copy. I I I, I, launch, I soft launched last Thursday. That was the 16th of March. Um, so until the 1st of April, it's one dollar ninety nine cents. So I mean, it's not that expensive, really, to get to get the the Kindle copy. Um, the book will get to regular price as of April 1st, and the paperback is coming out any day now. Uh, we're we're still working on. Last, little, last couple of details with the, the publisher for design. But any day now, the paperback will be available as well. Um, yeah, so, so inclusive.ca slash books is where you can find all the information about that book and incidentally about me as well.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. So what am I walking away with? Like, I think uh, Denis has blown my mind when I think about in Canada, 54 million and- um, 55 billion billion sorry and in, yeah. in the US five hundred and sixty four,
0: four billion.
1: Four five hundred and four. Yeah.
0: If if you if you combine billion. if you combine US and Canada together, basically you're talking about five hundred and fifty five billion, five hundred and fifty four well, billion
1: dollars. Well you've educated me on it it's it's you know if we're missing the boat on this as in uh company owners were really missing and it's and again it's the good thing to do but other than that it makes such business sense.
0: Yeah. Definitely. So, uh,
1: the call to action is to look and see who's around you. How are you addressing it? And what steps are you willing to take to start ensuring that you have and become a DEI model for the company uh, that you lead? So, for everyone, thanks so much. Denis, thanks so much for your time. Everyone, um, if you're needing more on me and you wanted to know more about how you lead as a leader on authenticity, go to roxanderhodge.com forward slash quiz. One, one Z, and you can do a quick assessment and we'll send you off the results. Again, Denny, thanks so much for your time. You and your time. I look forward to connecting and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you.